You are listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry, please visit EnduringWord.com. Hi, everybody. David Guzik here. Very glad you could join me today for this uh, question and answer session that we have. Uh, I'm speaking to you here on a Thursday afternoon, a sunny day, warm day. The warmth has come back to Southern California. And so in Fahrenheit, it's in the mid 80s outside right now. Uh, that's got to be in the mid to high 20s in the uh, centigrade. So anyway, it's a great day here. And I'm glad that you could join me for this day's live question and answer session. Before I get started with the lead question that I want to begin with, I do want to tell you about something that I think is pretty exciting. Uh, I got a commentary in the mail yesterday or the day before from a friend of mine named Aaron Moon, who is a missionary serving in Miramar. And this is the Gospel of John commentary, my Gospel of John commentary, translated into Burmese. And uh, I can't make any sense of the letters here. Of course, it's a uh, character set and an alphabet that is beyond my comprehension. But I'm very excited when people take my Bible commentary and translate it into other languages. Uh, this has the potential to help out a few pastors, leaders, Bible teachers, even everyday Christians. And uh, Aaron, I want to say thank you so much to you and your team for getting this translated. And uh, it's wonderful to think that more and more could be done. This is a big book, but John is a big book, and it's done in a way that would be very easy to read and make notes in. So again, very happy about that. Blessings to you, Aaron, and the whole Moon family serving the Lord there in Miramar. So uh, that's wonderful to see. Again, uh, I have a ministry of a Bible commentary that's available online. You can get it at EnduringWord.com. Um, I'm not making ad revenue off the website. Uh, it's not monetized in that sense at all. Uh, it's just a place for people to come and get free Bible resources, the Bible resource of my commentary, and then audio and video of different teachings that I have throughout most of the Bible, certainly not all of it yet, in audio or video. So uh, the commentary is available, of course, on the entire Bible in English, on the entire Bible in Spanish, uh, in the almost the entire New Testament in Arabic, almost the entire New Testament in Chinese, and a smattering of several other languages, Russian, German, Italian, uh, Tamil, uh, other things you can find on the website. And then, of course, we do have some things in print as well. Uh, I don't have any resource to get this to you, but if you contacted the missionary Aaron Moon serving in Miramar, uh, he could get you one of these if you know some Burmese believers, some Believers in Miramar, Burmese speakers who could benefit from it. All right, let's get on to our lead question for today. Um, the lead question comes to us from June Bug. And let me just read her question, then I'll kind of summarize it the way I would summarize it. She says, Hi, Pastor Guzik. During Jesus's earthly ministry, was he all knowing or did he have certain limitations on his knowledge? I'm asking in reference to John chapter 16, verse 30 where the disciples expressed that Jesus knew all things. If this is the case, why didn't Jesus know what day and hour he would return? She's referring to a verse in Matthew chapter 24. Also, now that Jesus has ascended to the Father in his glorified state, 
does he now know the day and time of his return? Well, Junebug, that's a great question. And it really brings up the larger issue. And if I could just state it in one brief phrase, I would say, was there anything Jesus was unable to know or to do? What were the limitations on Jesus during the days of his earthly ministry? And what was the nature of those particular limitations? Now, Let's talk about some things here. There's a lot of important principles to lay down as a groundwork. And Junebug, I'm very glad that she asked that question because it is. It's something really for us to think about. And there's some goofy teaching out and about this that I hope to maybe bring a, a, a more better balanced perspective, biblically speaking, on this. Okay, first of all, number one, during his earthly ministry, Jesus Christ accepted certain limitations of the exercise of his divine attributes. Now, I want to make this very clear. The limitations were of the exercise of his divine attributes. Jesus never gave up any of his divine attributes, but he did limit the exercise of them. Now, we know this just simply from reading the Gospels. The Gospels tell us that Jesus became tired, hungry, thirsty, that Jesus experienced stress and pain. Uh, he developed from being a newborn to an infant, to a toddler, to a boy, to a teen, to a grown man. All of those things were the accepting of certain limitations of the exercise of his divine attributes. The, the, the Bible tells us that God never sleeps. He that keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Jesus became tired and slept. He didn't stop being God. No, we, we got to stop and we need to need this. This was not the loss of these attributes. Please remember that. Jesus was and is God. Jesus could never stop being God. And I want to emphasize this idea. If you can stop being God, you were never God to begin with. Because divine nature is, is unchanging. Now. Jesus added a human nature to his divine nature. And there were several situations, many times in his life, where Jesus refused to draw upon. He chose to, if you want to say, access or exercise these um, divine attributes, and he accepted the limitations that would come along with his humanity. That's very interesting. A lot of people connect this with Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, which tells us that Jesus made himself of no reputation. That is, that he emptied himself. Here's the verse from Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. It says this, that he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Now, that phrase, made himself of no reputation, as it's translated there in the New King James Version, the, the more common, perhaps well-known translation of that is that he emptied himself. And the ancient Greek word that's translated there, made himself no reputation or emptied, is kenosis. And it came the idea that Jesus's incarnation was essentially a self-emptying. Now, of course, there's an aspect of that that's true. It says was right there in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. But, but like in many thoughts of theology and in theological thinking, we, we need to be careful that we don't carry those thoughts too far. 
we need to think carefully about what it was that Jesus emptied himself of. Now, Paul's going to explain in the following verses there in Philippians chapter 2, but, but we can never think that Jesus emptied himself of his deity. He never stopped being God, and he was never less God. And some people develop what's called the canonic theory of the incarnation to the point where they insist that Jesus uh, divested himself of many of the attributes of deity, that Jesus gave up his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. Uh, some people even believe he eliminated his own divine self-conscious. But no, that's not true. Those things remained in Jesus, but he chose not to exercise or access those things. Jesus did not become less God in the incarnation. He could not become less God in the incarnation. Let me put it this way. The incarnation was not subtraction. No deity was subtracted from Jesus when he added humanity to his deity. So don't think of the incarnation as subtraction of deity. It's the addition of humanity. Now, where Junebug points us out and where we find one of the places where there is expressly stated to be a limitation on Jesus is in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, where it says this, Jesus speaking said, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. Now, Jesus clearly says here that there's something that he did not know. But why didn't he know it? He did not know it because he chose not to access that knowledge or exercise that knowledge. I don't know if I'm using exactly the right there word there, but I think you get the point. Jesus did not deny his omniscience. He did not reject his omniscience, his all-knowingness but he set aside for a purpose in God's redemptive plan his access to that omniscience or the exercise of it. There's an illustration I've used before. I'll use it again, and I don't know if this illustration connects with you or not, but it sure makes sense to me. It was like a, a world-class sprinter. Okay, can you think of somebody who runs the 100-meter dash? They're a world-class sprinter, but there they are together at the family picnic. And in the family picnic, they're going to do a three-legged race. I don't know if you know what a three-legged race is. I don't know if you've ever been at a family or a company picnic. But two people come together, and they tie a piece of rope or a couple pieces of rope around the legs together. So they have one leg, two legs, and then a th the other leg there. And, and in that three-legged race, two people are running as one person because their legs are tied together. Now, if a Olympic sprinter who's world-class does that, he retains all of his attributes. He's still a world-class sprinter who has all the capability to run as fast as he wants. But for a specific purpose, he's accepted a limitation. Doesn't take away anything from his nature or who he is, but the exercise of it has been voluntarily uh, set aside. Th that's uh, one illustration. It's not a perfect illustration, but I think it, it's helpful in that. Now, the reference that Junebug referred to here in John chapter 16, verse 30 is simply this. 
She says, now, uh, now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this, we believe that you came forth from God. The disciples said to Jesus in John 16, 30, Jesus, we are sure that you know all things. Now, the first thing I want you to understand is that it was the disciples who said this. The disciples said of Jesus, we know that you know all things. And I think that was certainly true in two ways. Number one, it was true from the disciples' perspective. Look, if you were one of Jesus' disciples, wouldn't you say, he knows everything. He knows all things. They didn't mean it to be a uh, theologically technical statement, but from the disciples' perspective, it was certainly true. Jesus, you know everything. But then secondly, it was also true in an ultimate sense. Jesus still retained his omniscience, even if there were times when he chose not to access it. Now, you give a second part of this question that says this. Also, now that Jesus has ascended to the Father in his glorified state, does he now know the day and the time of his return? I would just simply say this. We're not specifically told the answer to that question, but I would say this. I would think so. I would think that, number one, we understand that when Jesus ascended to heaven, he kept his humanity. Do you understand that? Don't think that Jesus' humanity was like a coat, that when he left heaven and came to the earth, he put the coat on, and then when he ascended from earth back to heaven, he took the coat off. No. When Jesus added humanity to his deity in the incarnation— he retains and remains the God-man forever. How do we know this? Well, there's many places we know this, but let me just give you one example. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, this is what Paul wrote. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Paul was writing of Jesus as the ascended Lord. And he points out that there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, Jesus remains the God-man, but it's a glorified humanity. And in heaven, we know that there's going to be a vast expansion of knowledge for us. There's every reason to believe that whatever limitations Jesus accepted during the years of his earthly ministry, he's no longer under those self-chosen limitations. Now, I'm going to admit, the Bible doesn't tell us, at least to my knowledge, uh, as much as this as we wish, so we can't say definitively, but I would say that Jesus would have set aside those self-chosen limitations of the exercise of his deity that he had while he walked this earth. Now, before I leave this, I do want to talk just a little bit about a danger that's found in the teaching of Jesus accepting human limitations. Okay, let, let me un explain the danger here in this teaching. First of all, we understand Jesus accepted human limitations during his earthly ministry. We already talked about that. He became hungry, thirsty, tired, uh, faced stress and pain, all these things that God never faces in his deity. Jesus accepted these human limitations during his earthly ministry. That's number one. Number two, some people say that Jesus never drew on or operated out of his divine nature in his ministry. Now, let me just say, 
there's a big debate over the idea of never. Some people would say sometimes, most of the time, some people would say all the time, but you get the idea here. When Jesus was hungry, he was setting aside the exercise of his divine nature. And he was choosing to live on human resources and as a human being filled with the Spirit of God, because Jesus was certainly filled with the Holy Spirit. So some people think that Jesus operated that his entire ministry, that he never drew on his divine resources. Let me just say, I'm not so sure. One example that comes to my mind was the transfiguration. Was not Jesus transfigured before the disciples? Was that not an exercise of his divine glory? It would seem to me, I can't say categorically, yes, for sure. So I, I don't mind saying with some confidence that Jesus mostly did not draw on or operate out of his divine nature in his ministry. Um, I, I'm not so sure if I can say never, but but mostly, okay, no problem there. But here's the danger, to ever teach that Jesus stopped being God. That's a huge danger, folks. Jesus can never stop being God. And if there's anybody who teaches that Jesus could so empty himself of divine nature or prerogative that essentially he stopped being God, that is a wrong and a dangerous understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Mostly because, as I said before, if you can stop being God, you were never God to begin with. No, Jesus could never stop being God. So yes, we understand that Jesus accepted human limitations, but never gave up his deity. Now, there's people who also go on the point that Jesus drew on or operated out of the power of the Holy Spirit in his ministry. Okay, we, we can understand that. But then they make a dangerous point from that. This is the dangerous point. That believers today can and should do everything Jesus did because we can do everything in the Holy Spirit just as Jesus did. Well, again, I'm saying that's a dangerous teaching because first of all, you're not Jesus. Even if it was true that Jesus did his many amazing works as a man filled with the Holy Spirit, you are a man or a woman filled with the Holy Spirit. No doubt about it. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, no doubt. But you have corruption in you that was never present in Jesus Christ. And Jesus had a level, a, 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 a relationship with God, a communion with the Holy Spirit, a wisdom in, in, in his communion with God the Father that honestly you and I don't have and never will have because Jesus is Jesus and we are his followers. So we're not here to say that we can do everything that Jesus did because we are filled with the Holy Spirit just like Jesus was. That is a dangerous concept. Now, I know. There are people who are going to get into John chapter 14, verse 12 through 14, where Jesus said, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do also, because I go to my Father. Listen, absolutely that's true. The people of God, when Jesus said that we would do greater works 
then Jesus, this is what we understand. Jesus did not mean greater in the sense of more sensational, but greater in the sense of magnitude. Jesus is telling us that he would leave behind a victorious working family of followers who would spread his kingdom to more people and places than Jesus ever did in his life in ministry. Now, if you think greater works is impossible, on Peter's first sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, there were more people converted than are ever recorded during Jesus's entire ministry. You could say that those greater works began on the birthday of the church on the day of Pentecost. Now, again, I understand there are some people who believe that what Jesus meant here was that individual believers can and should do more spectacular works than Jesus did in the years of his earthly ministry. And I just have one answer for those people. You start. Go ahead. You show me verifiably not the same works that Jesus did. I need to see greater works. I need to see you not just walking on water. I need to see you walking on water carrying a piano or something like that. Because you're the one who claims that you could do greater works than Jesus did. So show me. I'll believe it when you show me verifiable proof of you doing greater things. If you think greater in that passage in John chapter 14 is speaking about greater in the sense of more spectacular. Now, I believe that Jesus promised his followers to do greater works. I believe that with all my heart, but it's greater in the sense of broader, greater in the sense of with a greater reach in the world. And absolutely that is true, but it's not greater in the sense of more spectacular. There is no one, no one in 2,000 years of Christianity who has done greater miraculous works than Jesus did. And if you think there is somebody who has done greater works than Jesus did, please let me know. Please show me the verification of it. I, if the evidence is out there, I want to be correct. But listen, this is what I, what I want to indicate. Is that even if it were proved that one person after Jesus had done such things, that still isn't a fulfillment of what Jesus said in John chapter 14. Because Jesus said that all of his followers would be doing that. No, greater is true, but it's true in the sense of greater in um, magnitude, greater in, in cumulative effect, not greater in the sense of more spectacular. You've been listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry and how to grow in your relationship with Jesus, please visit EnduringWord.com.